0: Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come now to the last of Jesus' seven church visit reports on the churches in Asia Minor, and sadly, the church in Laodicea, we might say, typically represents many of the churches today. It's often in the good times that the distinction of what it means to be in the world but not of the world oftentimes gets lost or or gets blurred in the process. We're too busy chasing after the material things of this life. In times of prosperity, worldliness has a way of, of simply creeping into the church, infiltrating our hearts and our lives that impact ultimately our priorities. There's always a real danger of becoming proud of our earthly achievements, that we become spiritually complacent, indifferent. We grow accustomed to living a very comfortable lifestyle, where spiritual apathy begins to set in. Spiritually, we're not really hot and we're not cold. We're wallowing in the middle in lukewarmness. But as we soon see, a lukewarm church doesn't meet with Jesus' approval. In fact, he simply finds it very disgusting, distasteful. And so let's proceed this morning on the theme, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. We're going to look at four things. We're going to look at, first of all, the city and the church, Secondly, the complaint, thirdly, the command, and lastly, the promise. First, the city and the church. The city of Laodicea was founded in 250 B.C. It's located about 70 kilometers southeast of Philadelphia. It was one of the tri-city churches with Colossae and Hierapolis located within a parameter, 10 kilometers of each other. The city was situated on on a high plateau, which seemingly made it impregnable. But there was a problem. The city was left vulnerable because it didn't have its own water supply. Hot water had to be pumped in from aqueducts from Herpolis, and cold water was piped in from the city of Colossae. And like Sardis and Philadelphia before it, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD. And it was rebuilt by the generous contributions of Caesar Tiberius. In 60 AD, another earthquake struck and destroyed the city. But Laodicea by that time had become very wealthy. And so they were able to to do the reconstruction of the city without any help this time from the Roman emperor. They didn't need government handouts. They were wealthy and they were mighty proud to show it. One author, George Van Poppen, notes, he says, Laodicea was the wealthiest city in Asia Minor, well known for three things. First, it was situated in a fertile valley suitable for grazing sheep. There, by careful breeding of sheep, the citizens had developed soft, shiny black wool that had become famous throughout the world. Second, it was a commercial city with three major trade routes passing through it. Because of all the traders and merchants that came through the city, it became the financial center with many banks. You would call it the Wall Street of Asia Minor. And third, he says, Laodicea was famous for a medical school. The school of medicine was very important because it had developed an eye ointment that was used in treating eye diseases. As for the church in Laodicea, we really don't know much about the church other than from Colossians 1 and 4. It appears that Epaphras, who preached in Colossae, very likely also preached in the city of Laodicea. You'll notice, very little is known, but yet we notice in this report that Jesus pens, there is no commendation. That is, Jesus doesn't make anything, this I see is beautiful about you, there's nothing to be said that is positive in this report. And the report receives one of the strongest and one of the harshest rebukes. As with all the other interesting reports, note how Jesus prefaces this report. Look at verse 14 if you have your Bibles open. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus identifies himself at the beginning of this report as the Amen. What does Amen mean? This is sure to be. What Jesus is about to write in this report is sure to be the absolute truth because Jesus is himself the truth. Jesus identifies himself here as the faithful and true witness. There is no more reliable witness to give testimony than our Lord Jesus Christ himself who is himself the truth. Jesus identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. He is himself the almighty creator. There's no one greater. There's no one more powerful. There's no one more all-knowing. And so the harsh realities of this lukewarm church are to be exposed by our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. Secondly, we look at the complaint. Look at verses 15 to 17 with me. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I have need of nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The people of Laodicea had become like the water traveling through the aqueducts from the other cities. Miles of aqueducts, lukewarm, tepid, neither hot nor cold. A good gulp of that lukewarm water traveling through those miles and miles of aqueducts would be enough to make anyone gag and just throw up. And that's precisely the comparison that Jesus now draws. The church in Laodicea is neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. They're indifferent. They're complacent. They're worldly-minded. Living in a very prosperous city, the Christians in Laodicea were very used to living a very comfortable lifestyle, a lifestyle of luxury, a lifestyle of ease. By worldly standards, we would say, yeah, they had it made. And yet Jesus is so thoroughly disgusted with the taste of these lukewarm Christians that he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. The New King James Version says, I will vomit you out of my mouth young people have you ever left a container of water or a can of pop sitting on a picnic table you go out and you're playing volleyball or doing something and you're you're dying of thirst and you just automatically grab that can of pop and just gulp it then you realize oh this is disgusting It's lukewarm. As the kids would say, that's gross. It's so bad you might even gag or probably just spit it out. Well, here too, Jesus, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, he knows exactly what's going on in the hearts and the lives of these Christians, these lukewarm Christians in Laodicea. And he gets right down to the point, doesn't he? You're nauseating. You make my stomach hurl. Jesus isn't just grieved by what he's witnessing. No, he's downright disgusted. As he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. But what is it that causes Jesus' reaction? Look at verse 17 again. For you say, "I am rich; I have prospered, in need of nothing." Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Like the people of the city, these Christians are proud. Look what my hands have done. Look what I've achieved fame fortune money success material things a carefree life of luxury and ease look at my beautiful home my booming business look at my fine family look at my retirement portfolio I've got it made these lukewarm Christians allowed us to see it, kept up with the Joneses the Joneses of the world and they were mighty proud of it They lost that distinction of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. They let their guard down against worldliness. And where does worldliness begin? It begins here in the heart. The book of Ecclesiastes warns us that life apart from God is vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. And yet there's far too many Christians today, like those in Laodicea, who cannot resist the seduction of the world. There's far too many Christians for whom the spiritual things of this life are not a priority. Their love for Christ takes second place to their pursuit and love of the things of the world. I had a phone call this week from friends of ours back in Dunville, the last church where I served. They told us that their daughter, their son-in-law, three sons, their house was totally destroyed by a fire. And there they stood, they said, feeling just so surreal. house that they had built only nine months earlier burned down as a result of a chimney fire. But all their material things went up in smoke and gone. The temporal things of this life are fleeting, aren't they? Church in Hamilton I served. There was a couple, friends of ours, Her mother passed away in a nursing home she made the comment she said it was so sad they left the nursing home with one suitcase of all her belongings they came to canada with one suitcase and the family took one suitcase out the nursing home and all the things in between were gone material things of this life. Joel Beakey comments, the goal of worldly people is to move forward rather than upward, to live horizontally rather than vertically. They seek after outward prosperity rather than holiness. They burst with selfish desire rather than heartfelt supplications. If they do not deny God, they ignore and forget him, or else they use him only for their selfish ends. Basking in their physical wealth, the church in Laodicea had lost sight of their spiritual poverty. Proud of all their earthly accomplishments, they failed to acknowledge God as the giver of every good and perfect gift from whom all blessings flow. In the pursuit of the things of this world, they failed to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In the abundance of all their wealth, they failed to see the abundance of the greatness of their own sin and misery. They failed to see their need for Christ and the cross. Oh, to be sure, congregation, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's God who makes one rich and who makes one poor. Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, and many more were all wealthy men of the Bible, weren't they? The sin is not in wealth itself. It's the love And the pride that goes with it. Laodicea's sin was was rooted here in the heart. They said, I'm rich. I've prospered. I have need of nothing. I'm rich. I'm self-sufficient. I'm successful. I don't need God. I have it all. Isn't that the motto of the world? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die other than going to church. These Christians lived and looked exactly like those of the world. Life wasn't geared toward living for God. The talents by which God gave them to provide for their families was not looked upon as a gift from God to be used to God's glory and to be used to that end, but for selfish and worldly gain. In the process, They lost Christ. Worldliness became their spiritual downfall. Pride preceded the fall. What was the city of Laodicea noted for? Its wealth, its fine clothing, and an outstanding medical school. And what does Jesus say? You are poor you are naked and you are blind congregation as christians we must resist the seduction of the world the pandemic of lukewarmness in many churches today is more of a threat than outside persecution than false teachers or even heresy entering the church claiming to be christians without a heart for christ Is disgusting to Jesus. In fact, he doesn't have a good thing to say, does he? In Matthew 16, 26, we read, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Christians allow to see, in a sense, gain the whole world. But in the process, they sold their soul to the devil. They sold their soul for earthly treasures and earthly pleasures. And Jesus responds with nauseating disgust. I will spit you out of my mouth. Thirdly, the command in verses 18 to 20, we read, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What a stark contrast, isn't it? The world afforded the Christians allow us see a what? Wealth, fine clothing, and fine service of a medical facility. And now Jesus counters that with says, yeah, but... I will provide you with spiritual wealth. I will provide you with spiritual clothes. I will provide you with spiritual insight. Jesus demonstrates here, congregation, his amazing grace, doesn't he? He hasn't removed the lampstand from this lukewarm church yet. Instead, he urges her to repent. And here we come once again to see just how long-suffering our Lord Jesus Christ is with our weaknesses. He's not wanting any to perish. There's still hope for this church and for all of us today who have been sucked in, into the rat race, into the seduction of worldliness, who are now wallowing in this lukewarmness. Jesus says, wait a minute. I have something better to offer you. In the first place, he talks about spiritual wealth. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. He counsels them. Stop buying all the needless stuff of the world and start buying the riches which we in Christ possess. What is the refined gold? Our salvation in Christ Jesus. What is the refined gold? It's our saving faith. What Christians need congregation more. More than worldly stuff. More than the temporal things of this life. Is a saving faith in Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus is that priceless treasure. Jesus offers spiritual clothes. I counsel you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Rather than filling walk-in closets (coughs) with designer clothes made of the finest black wool, produced where? Right in Laodicea. Beautiful clothes. Jesus counsels the member of the church in Laodicea, adorn yourself with the robes of white to cover your shame and your nakedness. What are those robes of white? It is the righteousness that Christ obtained for us by perfect obedience to God the Father that all our unrighteousness has been laid upon Christ, nailed to the cross, and his righteousness has been imputed to us, whereby we are no longer clothed in the filthy garments of our sin, but we are clothed in the righteous garments provided by Christ himself. These are the wedding garments by which we enter into heaven. These are the wedding garments by which we enter into that feast of the marriage of Christ and his church. Without these fine garments supplied by Christ, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The finest of our clothes hanging in our closets, they mean nothing. They're temporal. Again, Reverend Van Pompter writes, he says... The Lord Jesus could offer those robes because he had plumbed the deepest depths of shame when he was hanged on the cross, stripped naked for all to see. Because he experienced the shame for the sake of his people, he could offer them white robes to cover the shame of their nakedness. The robes of his righteousness also cover our shame, our sinfulness, and our disobedience. It's not the finest clothes, Hanging in our closets that ultimately matters in life. Jesus counsels the church in Laodicea and us today. I have robes of white for you sinners. It's the one garment that we all need in our wardrobe. The third spiritual self. I counsel you to anoint your eyes with salve so that you may see. Rather than buying salve to correct physical sight, Jesus counsels them to, to purchase a solve to, to heal them from their spiritual blindness. It's no doubt a great limitation to be physically blind, but for far worse than being physically blind is to be spiritually blind to the greatness of our sin, to God's amazing grace, and our need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer John Newton expressed, was blind, and then what follows? But now I see. The eyes opened, spiritually opened, to behold the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. Those who remain in the spiritual darkness of sin, who love the darkness more than the light, will remain in the darkness of hell for all eternity. The Church of Laodicea prided themselves in their wealth and self-sufficiency. They enjoyed the very best that the world had to offer. Wealth, the finest of clothing, the best of medical care in the world. And now Jesus says, all that is nothing. He counsels them of the riches that we possess in Christ Jesus. Jesus comes to us this morning you want wealth? There's no greater worth than the salvation obtained for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want fine clothes? Jesus offers us garments of his righteousness. You want 2020 vision? Jesus says, Let me open your eyes. Take away that spiritual blindness that you may behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To a lukewarm church who thought they had everything. In reality, they were spiritually bankrupt. And now Jesus offers them everything. To a lukewarm church who worked so hard to get all that the world had to offer. Jesus says, it's nothing. And he offers us of what is invaluable worth what truly matters, and it's all ours, all ours, by grace, by grace. What does little Malia need to know? She needs to know Jesus Christ. Take her by the hand. Show her the things that truly matter in this life. Nurture her little heart to know and to see Jesus and to see Jesus and know him crucified. As parents, all the material things, they're only temporal. They're only temporal. Take the time. Make the time in the busyness of life. Parents, Spend the time with your children on the spiritual things of this life. Because notice the promise. It's beautiful. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him. Sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. Do you notice where Jesus is standing? He's standing on the outside of the church knocking. With their love affair of the world, they left Jesus standing on the doorsteps of the church. As disgusted as Jesus may be, he promises them gift, the gift of his fellowship should they repent and stop loving the things of this world. Jesus urges them open the door open the door of your heart let me live and reign there let me be your guest of honor root out the things of this world and the love of the things of this world you think you're rich you think you're clothed with the finest of clothes you think you have 2020 vision you're poor you're naked you're blind Jesus says, come, come, open the door, open the door to your heart, and I will restore you spiritual riches which only Christ can give. Jesus extends the gracious invitation recorded in Isaiah 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Jesus offers us congregation far more than all the wealth and treasures and luxuries of this world. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. It's all vanity. And so the question for us this morning is where is your heart? Where are our priorities? In all of the busyness of life, what are we busy with? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you treasure the treasures that Christ gives to us? There's no place in God's kingdom for lukewarm Christians. He finds them disgusting, doesn't he? And so he ends, as he does with all the other church visit reports. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's respond in song by turning to Psalm 23, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.